is the West Side King's Church podcast, where we aim to encounter and embody the surprising grace of Jesus. David, it's good to be back together. You had a little bit of a vacation time. Yes. Um, and it's nice to have you back in the office and you Touring back teaching. Western Canada. Yes, yes, out in the BC area. It's true. So, um, yeah, and it was great to have you back, and you continued on in our teaching series, mm-hmm. um, This Upside Down World, um, talking about Stephen mm-hmm. con- being confronted with the religious leaders, and I guess, as we always start with these conversations, is there anything else coming out of your teaching, which is a great one, I encourage people to listen to, if they haven't, even some controversial Jordan Peterson stuff, that, that's all <laughs> I'm going to say, so they have to go listen to find out what that is, um, but is there anything else in your teaching that you want to pick up on or felt like uh, there was something here that we maybe just didn't have time for. Mm. Yeah, I, it was one of those teachings, as many teachings are, that I felt like I rushed everything. So I probably got everything in, hence the length, but uh, <laughs> but never nothing to the depth that it deserved, uh, hence the apology. Um, I, I think, f- for me, what was interesting about the Stevens story, and, and I feel like as a teacher you're thinking about what is a sermon doing, but also hoping that, that people are finding out a little bit of, well, what is this text doing? And as we're reading Acts in the way that we are, it's striking me as fascinating how consistent the story is. And I think, I, and I said it in the sermon, I think Phil framed it really well the week before for us, that there is this pressure to undo what the Holy Spirit's trying to do. Um, and that leaves this question mark over us. What I love about what Acts is doing is it's giving us a multifaceted view of how easy it is to try and undo the work of the Holy Spirit. Our historical readings of Acts seem to tend towards the church versus the synagogue. Right. But it's interesting that actually there's church internal troubles, right? There's church uh, attempting to do justice struggle, struggles. And then by the time we get to Stephen, now we have, you know, the early Christians and their synagogue leaders having some some tensions. Um so I, I think it's important when we're when we're kind of working on acts to not draw the wrong conclusions from that that this is just a, a church trying to fight against the religious establishment, but almost that there's a religion within our own hearts right. that gets confronted by the Holy Spirit. Uh, and I'm I'm finding myself in this reading of Acts, like I've read Acts at, at various points throughout my life. I, I think I mentioned on Sunday, uh, you know, I wrote my master's dissertation on actually questions like this in Acts, like what is the Holy Spirit doing here? But it's really struck me this this series as we've been teaching it, how profound it is to realize that it's actually something inside my heart, not in the heart of the other, but in my own heart that will naturally resist what the Holy Spirit is trying to do uh, in me and also in those around me. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And I think it's been an interesting, you know, thing to wrestle through and look at as a as a community because I think as you you know as you've said depending on how you come to the the book of Acts and I've heard you know in my church upbringing like lots of times it's 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 uh, idolized might be too strong of a word but people are like man the book of Acts this early church and isn't it all let's it, they think it's one big celebration yeah but it's been interesting I think for us as a yeah. community and for myself as a you know as I wrestle through it personally in this sense to say actually 
there's incredible things that are happening. Don't get mm. me wrong. Acts is this expansion of the kingdom of God, mm. but there's also this revealing of the the roadblocks, the hurdles, the mm. different things that we can bump into yes. when it comes to what it means for us to follow Jesus, for us to be a part of that kingdom expansion, mm. and where we find ourselves in that story. I think, and I think we've talked about in other places, there's always these moments where we how we read ourselves into mm. a narrative within scripture. Yes. We sometimes always put us ourselves in the position of always. we're always on the right side of this conversation. We're, we're absolutely Stephen. Yeah. We're, you know, we're Peter and John. We're Philip. Mm. We're, we're all of these people. Yeah. Whereas that's not always the case. And that's part of the wrestle and what I've enjoyed about this. And even your, mm. you know, your sermon from Sunday is to say, actually, it, are we drawing lines? Are we open to what the Holy Spirit wants to yeah. do in us? Are we listening to what the Spirit is is yeah. is doing? And you know, sometimes even creating our own religion in this sense of yeah. of holding lines. Well, I I mean, goodness, there's there's so much in that. I, I think that um, a couple of things that that, that in, initially I think about just even spiraling off from that. There's we are. In the story of Stephen, I think we, the church, have to recognize ourselves in the characteristics of the synagogue leaders in this particular story. And as right. I said, and I think it's important enough to mention twice, as I said on Sunday morning, remember that at this point in Christian history, there is no Christians versus Jews. That's something yeah. that really comes into its own late first century into the second century. At this point, the debate about Jesus as the Messiah is an internal debate within at this point, actually, Jerusalem-based Judaism, right? Right. Um, so, so this is not anti-Semitism in action. This is a group of people within their structure saying, "Do we accept who this person is being said to be?" Uh, so, I, I think we are, as the church, always faced with the Holy Spirit doing things that looks unfamiliar to us. Right. And I think our recent history shows that our response to unfamiliarity is always exclusion and protectionism. Right. And I think Acts is saying that's not the right way to do it. Um, I think, actually, as you were speaking just then, I, I, not to wade into controversial space, but there's also something going on in Acts, which we've all alluded to, but let's just say explicitly, that Acts reads like an expose, right? Right. You know, I mean, he's, you know, so far, I think we've gone Ananias and Sapphira. Right? Yeah. We've then done kind of big argument at the temple about which basically amounted to uh, sorry at the synagogue which Kristen talked on which basically amounted to we're not really sure if God's doing something here or not so there's not a lot of clarity amongst some of the people this is happening amongst we've then got you know racism within the distribution of justice yeah which led to let's have deacons right yeah. um and now we've got you know big arguments of, and false accusations being brought to try and leverage a position. This is ugly. These are ugly stories. Right? Totally, they're, they're not as you say, constant living in celebration. How great is everything? Actually, this is uncomfortable stuff. And I'm thinking about the modern church, and we have uncomfortable scandals happening a, yes. a lot of places across yeah. the modern church at the moment. You think about the stories at, at Willow Creek. You think about. Mars Hill, which got its own podcast, right? Yeah. You think about Hillsong, which got its own TV show. Yeah. Right? These expose, you know, it's like, it's like, you know, and I'm laughing at the, the hurt of it, you know, at some level, but, you know, you get, you get a book, a, a book about, you know, Willow Creek, you get a podcast about Mars Hill, you get a TV show about Hillsong, but none of them done by the people 
involved. Right. So, you know, somebody else writes the book about Willow Creek. Somebody else writes the book about Mars, a uh, podcast about Mars Hill. Somebody else produces the TV show about Hillsong. Here we have the early church telling its own story and exposing itself. Right? Yeah. Saying, hey, look at this that went badly. Look at this that went wrong. And maybe just even the subtlety of that, there's a reminder of us that the question is not, will things go wrong in church? Hmm. The question is actually almost, how are we going to deal with it when things go wrong? Yeah. Um, and if we're going to leave it to outsiders, and I mean, goodness, I, I want to be careful with that language, but, yeah. but people who were not part of that church, if they become the storytellers, what it also tells us is that the church tried not to tell the story. Right. And I've just been struck by what's going on in Acts, that the church is telling its own story. Right? Yeah. That, that, that Luke, you know, and I'm, I'm really comfortable taking Acts and, and reading the text as it's told, but Luke basically admits that his editorial process in this book and in the gospel has been to speak to eyewitnesses and hear the stories. So, so the, he's been told the stories, and yeah. he is now telling the stories. There's a transparency and an authenticity to that that I think the contemporary church could learn from. You know, yeah. that the, the actually covering up our brokenness doesn't help us. Uh, yeah. You know, now or in the future. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And a humility in that as well yes. of of what does it look like to to say this is what has gone wrong. They continue to point towards and it comes back to even a value for us as a church talking about being Jesus centered in that mm-hmm. sense to say we continue to move towards Jesus and this kingdom that we believe yes. we're called to participate in. Yes. He, yet there are there are bumps along the way mm-hmm. and here's how we have learned, here's how we grow, here's how we yeah. adjust, here's what we're, you know, and, and I think we've talked about it in different places, mm. the the relearning of, and Phil, and you use the language again on Sunday, this trying of un, undoing of what happened at Pentecost, this mm. relearning, this coming back, you know, face to face again with, here's what God is about, mm-hmm. here's what he's doing, and that constant reminder, I think, for mm. us even as followers of Jesus to to be humble enough to say, we might know it up in our head. We might have the theology of it figured out, mm-hmm. but in our day-to-day living and practical, you know, application of this, we're going to come, the Spirit's going to have to probably continue to pull us face-to-face yeah. with, no, and this, you might be on the wrong side of what yes. God is actually trying to do, even though you yes. know in your head what, you know, may what God may want to do. Well, and and also, I mean, not to I, let's not hang around in the dirt too long, I suppose, but also to just confess that not everybody involved in the move of the Holy Spirit has pure motive. Right? Totally, uh, that, that some people are looking to leverage the Holy Spirit for a comfortable life. I yes, mean, you, we're going to get to this in a few weeks' time. You'll be teaching on on Simon. Yeah, um, he's a perfect you, example. Yeah, some people there is whenever God is moving, that doesn't mean that everybody in there is a is a good person necessarily. Yeah. So you can have a church and there be bad people in it. You can have a church that has bad people leading it. And I mean, we don't need to look far to see that that's a, that's a constant challenge. What's interesting is that we're shocked by this. Yes. Like, oh my goodness, I can't believe that this pastor had ulterior motives or this this pastor was doing those particular things. Right. Acts doesn't seem to be shocked by this. Yeah. And as a result, just tells this factually, almost yeah. as if, well, if you know the long story of Israel, you'll know that in the midst of all the good stories, there's the bad stories. And sometimes they're happening simultaneously to the same people. Yes. <laughs> that you have David with just horrendous abusive parts of his life, but also these amazing parts of his yeah. life. And I wonder if our problem is sometimes we, we, we don't live with enough authenticity and therefore 
we pretend everything's great and then we cover up when it's not great acts is just like here it is yeah it's a it's a messy story yes yeah um, and i i think there's something redeeming about that i think there's something like encouraging about that and as you said and i love that word there's a humility to it yeah yeah and i think that's you know that is the 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 challenge in that sense is i think sometimes the church is we're so afraid of what will people think mm. if they find out that right yeah. this hasn't gone as smoothly as we thought it should or yes. there have been hiccups or there has been some sort of hurt that's happened mm. along the mm. way we're so concerned about well what are, what is i going to do to our witness yes if yeah. you will and i think acts is the encouragement in that sense to yeah. say actually you have a greater witness yes by saying oh we messed up yeah and, 100%. and and we believe god keeps calling us this way so we're going to make those adjustments and keep going instead of mm-hmm. and a, as we've seen in some of these other examples this hiding of stuff mm-hmm. that finally comes to the surface and causes way more damage as far as yeah, what totally. god's trying to do and how people then view the church in light of that because of this lack of humility this mm-hmm. or this pressure of feeling like no we can't have this information out there so i think it's yeah. a i think it's a great teaching and, and so I think that in some way raises some interesting questions even about about the text. I mean, it, you know I'm, well, I think, yes, I'm a Rich Fiordas uh, fan. I think you are as well. Yes. Um, Richie's new book just came out uh, called Good and Beautiful and Kind. I alluded to it in the in the teaching. Yeah. Like, I'm not in any commission, but, but, but get Richie's book and, and read <laughs> it. Um, and maybe we'll make it a kind of focus of a, series or something uh soon uh because it's interesting even his his uh his second part of the sorry the third part of the book talks about about wholeness uh which is interesting because we're sort of setting that up yes. as a value that we want to shape uh, and be shaped by uh but anyway he, he makes this point uh in really early on in the book he says the followers of christ establish our moral credibility in the world by routinely and fearlessly confessing and repenting of sin and we lose our credibility by refusing to name our sins. Hmm. So, which yes. I feel is really an interesting. So, I had that in my notes. That that quote never made the sermon, right? But interesting that we've had this conversation now, and now I'm like, well, that is exactly yes. what we're saying. We gain our credibility by by. And that sounds so backward, right? How are we going to gain credibility by saying we made a mess of things? How are we going to gain credibility by saying we did wrong? Well, actually. That's exactly how we do it. There's an authenticity to that. There's yeah. a transparency to that. Um, and, and I found that that really quite interesting. It, elsewhere, um, he makes the point, uh, yes, he says, sin is manifested as we confess in prayer every week in our congregation. And then he quotes the line from the Book of Common Prayer, in what we have done and what we have left undone. Right. So, so there's a sin involved in doing bad things, but then there's also a sin involved in not doing the things we should do but also in not confessing to the things that we have done right um, and and i think that's i just think that's really powerful yeah yeah i and i, I and i would agree completely and i'm I love how that book's been out for like a week and you're already talking about the third part of that book and how you've probably already finished it. But, um, but I, but I do think that that is that rich nails that right on the mm-hmm. head and what we are talking about here of it's this sense of, and I don't know if it's, it, it probably is maybe at some level, like a spiritual egotism, like an mm-hmm. arrogance in this sense that, and maybe that's deeply rooted in, tradition and how we've set things up that we mm-hmm. feel this pressure to 
be better than the world in mm-hmm. some senses, mm-hmm. and we have to appear better than the yeah. world for in order for the world to see. It's a great thought. That in order in order for the world to see that. Jesus is worth following or something, mm. right? Like we almost feel like we have to prove that mm. we're better humans and mm. don't have that mess because of how we've, you know, because of how we follow Jesus. Like, and I'm, and I'm verbally processing here, so it's probably not as clear as I would like it to be, mm. but I, yeah, I wrestle with some of that thinking around how we've even set that up and with the pressures that we then put on it to say it has to look tidier. Otherwise, maybe the world's not going to follow maybe not going to believe that, mm. you know, Jesus is as good as we say he is because yeah. we are not as good as we maybe think we are. I, I don't know if I'm making sense in that. No, you but are. That's my, yeah. You are. I'm, I'm, I'm having that internal debate right now about, okay, so where do we, <laughs> what do I say? How much trouble do I get in? You know, <laughs> the, uh, so listen, um, let me try and say this. And I want to actually do with some of this perhaps more on the, the coming Sunday. At a simple level, there's almost a part of me wants to say, Tyson, that, that maybe that's the call of the church, is to stop pretending that we're better any, than anyone and accept living this reality that what the grace of Jesus does is allows us to confess that we're actually worse, right? Hmm. Um, yeah. Because, because not only do we know that we are constantly falling short of what God asks for us, we have now been given a way to be in Christ and to be Christ-like, and yet we still continue to fall short. So, so now we do this knowingly, and yet the grace of Jesus is that he still loves us, welcomes us, never right. excludes us. So there's some complexity to almost the confession of following Jesus is one that draws me into a, a deeper authenticity, but a more painful authenticity. Right. Uh, I said it a few weeks ago in a sermon, you know, Jesus is for losers, right? But to accept Jesus, therefore, there is a required admission that I must therefore be a loser. Um, now, this is where uh, I alluded to some stuff on Sunday morning's sermon. This is, in, this is intrinsically now at the heart of why I think the church needs to be very careful taking advice from public personalities such as Jordan Peterson. Right. Um, and I know that people get upset when I say things like this because, like, Jordan Peterson's helped me here and he's helped me there. And I, like, I'm not saying don't read Jordan Peterson. Uh, I don't read much Jordan Peterson anymore. Uh, I think, uh, you know, but that's my decision. Sure. Right? What I would say is be cautious of reading Jordan Peterson because he'll help you know Jesus better. Be cautious of reading Jordan Peterson because he'll help you become more aware of God's love for you. So if you read him, make sure you're clear on the category that you're reading him in. Because what Peterson tells us is try really hard and maybe you can be good enough. Yeah. And what the Bible tells us is you can try as hard as you like, you will not, but that's okay. Because you are not trying to impress yourself on how good you are, and therefore God will value you. But actually in this inverse notion of the kingdom, it is in fact your brokenness that brings you to the foot of the cross. Right. right. And your failure that brings you to the foot of the cross. To discover that only in accepting our failures do we find salvation. Uh, and I don't just mean salvation is what happens when you die. I yes. mean hope in life. I mean everything yeah. starts to make sense when you realize that the call is to accept our inability to be like Jesus. And in doing so, the Holy Spirit begins to form us like Jesus. So what happens then is when we you know, when we go down the route of, well, maybe if I just try harder, and I hear people saying, well, there's so many people not trying, they need that message. But let's just be cautious of, of, of saying the wrong thing 
to make small progress. So there's a famous line in Romans, mm. everybody falls short. Yeah. So getting closer to or further away from, it's not the question of grace. The question of grace is, is Jesus who he says he is? And that that's our only hope. Right. right. So, so I feel like if Christians feel they should be better than everybody else, then the constant pursuit is to try and be better than everybody else. Yeah. That is not the path of the cross. Right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so when Peterson yeah. comes on and makes the video a few weeks, ago, a few days ago, sorry, and says, here's my message to the church. Yeah. Here's all this stuff you need to do in order to uh, reach people. Well, actually, let me be really, let me just nail my colors for a second. Sure. If anybody pertains to say, this is what the church needs to do, and this is no longer grace. Right? Yeah. This is now. This is now us not getting in the way of Jesus and just having clever strategies that hopefully people will buy into. Right. The only thing that the church needs to do is to keep pointing people towards Jesus. Right. <laughs> and saying he's not going to look like what you expect, but if we keep pointing ourselves towards Jesus, then Jesus will work in us. Uh, so I mean, yeah, maybe that's too much, but. No, I no, I think it's great, and it comes back to even that you know Viotas comment and stuff about this inversion of even what happens when we're a church that's willing to confess our brokenness, that's willing to say this is you know this is the sin that is mm-hmm. that is being dealt with, and and how that then speaks to the world and shows mm-hmm. the world something different. So I, I I resonate with that with that deeply in that sense. So um, I think yeah, that that's there's that's I good. mean. I, there's a nervousness of me in like directly naming, you know, like, oh, and here's my thoughts on Jordan Peterson, right? Sure. Um, but I think the reason I feel the need to to name him is because of the attention that he gets and yes. how often I hear people uh, saying, well, no, I think he's saying Christian things. Right. Uh, and, and I always want to ask people, well, is he saying Jesus things or is he saying biblical things? Yeah. Because right? saying things from the Bible and saying things that are Jesus shaped might not be, and Jesus centered, yeah. might not be the same, Yeah, might not be the same thing, right? Um, and so, and this this then takes us to somebody like Karl Barth, right? because, and I think I think our congregation, one of the things I love about the Westside congregation is I can feel in our dialogue times, the congregation scratching at what we're getting at yes right? uh, yeah. and i and i think the question actually all of the questions on sunday sort of came back to Kristen's sermon a few weeks ago yes it did of, yeah okay we hear what you're saying but how do we tell how do you spot jordan peterson as potentially good advice in some context but not gospel advice yeah if we can just leave it there now some yeah. people might want to argue about both of those statements sure right? but that's not the point of what we're yeah. talking about but how do we tell the difference how do we how do we discern um Karl Barth uh, says that one of the roles of the Holy Spirit um, is to well, let me just let me just read it like like this he, he, here's a here's a kind of summary of what he says knowing God is a personal response facilitated by the spirit so think about that just for a second um we're talking about discernment is ultimately a question of knowing God, isn't it? Right. Right. Because if I know God, like think about what we're doing with our, the ability to turn up at home to your partner with the, the takeout food that they like. With right. The, I bought you this and I know you'd like it. It's actually like at some level, not to try and diminish it, but is that not discernment? <laughs> a sense of, I know what this person is like and therefore what they would like me to do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think Bart nails that for us. Right. right. Instead of getting caught up in, you know, this and that. He just says, well, this is about knowing God. 
And how do we know God? Well, that's a personal response facilitated by the Holy Spirit who draws our knowing to be a loving discovery of the truth God gives us in his son and then confirms by spirit. So we're trying to know God. Well, God helped us with that by sending Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> and Jesus helped us with that by sending the Holy Spirit. So for Bart, this is like, oh, there's, there's a science to this. Almost. Right. But then he says this, which I really like. At the same time, clarifying what is not God so that we will be nourished by God's grace alone, right? So think about mm. this, right? So God wants to reveal himself to us. So he comes as Jesus. Yes. Jesus knows we're going to need a, <laughs> a lot of help. So when he leaves, he sends us God as spirit. Yes. Right? But the spirit does two things. He is God with us, but he's also pointing out what God is not. Right. So that we can be people of truth and lies, that we can tell truth and we can tell lies. Right. And one of the, and, and as I, I've alluded to a few times, the best lies are the ones that sound true. Yes. So there are times where we need the Holy Spirit because at a basic glance, this looks like the truth. Right. But go back to discernment. Based on knowing, we can tell our partners from just their voice in the dark. We can tell our partners, you know, I don't know if, if you're like this, I can wake up in the middle of the night and know that my wife's not there, yeah. you know? And it's like, oh, she's like, oh, I just went downstairs to get a glass of water. But somehow I was simply aware of the fact in the pitch black, oh, she's not here. Right. And that, I mean, I'm not trying to say that spiritual discernment. Here yeah, yeah. Correct. But it, maybe it's a metaphor that helps us understand. Yeah. Discernment is about knowing and yeah. being aware of things. I, I mean, am I making any sense there? No, it, it makes total sense. And to me, then, the the question is, or maybe not the question, the thought process that then has to be wrestled through is that that discernment piece is then a learned process. You mm. learn. Yes. You yes. learn you know, to carry on with your, you know, your partner comment, you learn the things that they like, how they act, what they, you know, what yes. behaviors in some senses to, and all metaphors always fall short. So <laughs> yes. for, forgive me in that, but, but right. Like, but what things your partner would appreciate when you're, when you're walking this through the same goes, I think. Which is why, by the way, dating is a horrible process because you don't know the answers to any of those questions. Yes. And you just sit with anxiety <laughs> and go, that's why I'm thankful that those days are behind me. Cause that's a, yeah, it's a, I have friends that are dating. They're like, what do I do? I'm like, I don't know. Right. So, um, but that's but it's but it's a learned process. I think the same thing even of our of our children. If for those of us that have kids, they start to learn the sound of the parent's voice. Mm -hmm. They start to learn right mm -hmm. the the characteristics of the parent. But it's a learned process, and then they learn to trust that voice because they go, "I know that that's dad. I know that that's mom. I know that mm -hmm. that's grandma. Whoever. Yeah. I know that's a voice that." right? That mm -hmm. I, I trust even for guidance in that mm -hmm. sense. The same for me then happens when we start to wrestle through the discernment piece of how do we start to figure this out? Well, it's a learned process. Mm -hmm. It's learned through scripture how, as we yeah. discover more of who is Jesus and what mm -hmm. does that look like? What's God, what's God all about? Those are all prayer shapes it. You have mm -hmm. legitimate conversation, right? Mm -hmm. With God in that sense. Like these are all, you don't do it isolated from others. You have conversation yes. with other people and you, and it becomes a learned process that helps you then go, well, I know God's characteristics. Mm -hmm. I can see this. I don't, I don't necessarily need an audible voice that's going to come in all the no. time, but I can see, um, you know, I can see that this is the way that God wants to work in that sense. If I'm, yeah. Totally. You know, a hundred percent. That's and, and and it even tempted to push it as far as to say we're talking about a metaphor of husbands with wives, wives with husbands, parents with children, right? 
and and we always have to be careful. I would say we always have to be careful of taking a metaphor and then kind of pushing it back and saying, "Oh, God is like this," because all as you say, all metaphor will fall short. But what if we turned that around? And what if we're like this in our human relationships? Because this is exactly how God is. Right. So it's not that we understand our human relationships in order to make sense of God, but rather it's God and His way of being as relational that actually makes sense of why we're relational beings in the first place. Yeah. So I think. You, you, your relationship with your son actually models God's relationship with humans, not the other way around, you know? Uh, and I think it's important to hold that, that God is relational and relationship is about knowing, about about connection, about discernment then, essentially. Um, I mean, Bart, I'm just going to keep talking about Karl Barth. <laughs> uh, so, the, you know, this the, you know, Swiss theologian, ph- phenomenal work, yeah. uh, you know, wrote a huge a huge, uh, at least significant theological piece for the 20th century. Huge is an understatement. Yes. <laughs> I think it's, I think in English it's six million words yeah. or something like that. Meanwhile, <laughs> also was at the foundation of the confessing church fighting Hitler, you know, all totally. sorts of stuff. Yes. Um, and managed to develop a pretty vibrant prison ministry during this process as yes. well, as well as being a professor. Um, there was a joke apparently in, in, uh, in his later life, in his later life, he literally wrote taught in lecture halls and uh, preached in prisons. And there was a joke that some young seminary students were tempted to get arrested just so they could hear him preach because the only place he would preach <laughs> yeah. was in prisons. There you go. Um, he, he says this. He says, the crucial task for humanity, uh, it, let me just kind of reword this because I'm extracting here. The crucial task for humanity is to determine whether to have a religion based in revelation. Yeah. Right? So is our religion... And this is all thinking about the argument Stephen's got going. Is our religion something which God has revealed to us? I.e., we do things like this because it references the Jesus that we're following. He says, or do we have a revelation of religion, i.e., something we have as humans have created right. in order to be more holy? Right. And then he says this, one attends to God's self-giving, one, or the other rather, to human forms of pious living. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, I said my sermon wasn't a critique of Jordan Peterson, <laughs> and this podcast is not going to be deep. But just think about yeah. that theological statement. Yeah. What type of religion do you have? One that is rooted in the revelation of God to us, or one which we've made up? One will be about grace. Yeah. God's self-giving. One will be about piety. Try harder. Yeah. Right? And the long history of the church, from you know going back into the, I think the third century, you've got Augustine and Pelagius. Pelagius saying we just got to try hard and impress God. Augustine saying, nope, it's about grace. History has held that Christian orthodoxy has always been, it's about grace, not trying hard. But humans love trying hard. Yes. We actually like being afraid, right? And we like being afraid of falling short because it gives us something to aim from and try hard. But we can't try hard enough. Uh, Bart then uh, continues uh, to sort of basically say, he said, um, yeah, he says this. He says, the key methodological commitment for proper theology is to keep revelation prior to religion and never reverse the order. So if we're going to work out how to do church, yeah. <laughs> the idea is the revelation of God always precedes the way that we practice being church. Right. Otherwise, what will happen is we'll forget about trying to model Jesus, right. and instead we'll just be a church. Right. And again, think about what's going on in you know Jesus. The Holy Spirit is moving, and in Acts chapter 7, the religious structures are trying to shut it down. Yeah. So this is where I think it's really interesting, particularly for us as a community. Bart, writing in the kind of, you know, we're getting towards 70 years ago now, says, free inquiry into the things of God must be pursued for the sake of truth. So all questions are open. Let's right. see what God's going to say. 
Um, he says this conservatism that will not question is a function of fear. Essentially, the religion creates a sense of don't ask that question, don't go there, this is not acceptable to deal with. Um, it builds walls to protect religious beliefs through appealing to human reasonableness. Right? So Bart says when we get our religion the other side of revelation, when we right. forget about God and commit to religion, yeah. we will then start to be afraid of what happens when our religion is attacked. So the way we deal with that is we don't let people ask questions. We don't let people talk, and we build walls to keep danger out. So you can tell why I love this. Yeah, I'm yeah. thinking you've got Bart saying, be Jesus-centered, yeah. <laughs> ensure you've got good dialogue, yeah. you know, and 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 actually stop keeping people out that will help us on our path to wholeness. So you can kind of see that there's something going on in there. Yeah. But I think we see that happen in this story of Stephen. Right? Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah. this is a bit scary. How do we shut it down? And, and Bart's saying, that's not the religion that is revealed to us in Jesus. And I think that's really important stuff for us to, as any Christian, think about, actually. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's... That's 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 really good, and that's maybe even a a place to pause it for now, because I know that this is a conversation that's going to continue mm. on. Because mm. you know, as as Acts continues, yes, you know, you just dipped your toes into yes. what's happening with Stephen and yeah. the religious leaders, and and the lengths that we'll go to at times yes. to shut things down and and to and to stop this and to mm. right and and how we want to keep it in. Well, Stephen's going yeah. to get himself in trouble, right? Because he's basically going so. to lay out a sermon that speaks to exactly that. Yes, right? um, yes. And I'm kind of excited to, to shape that a little bit in this coming Sunday because I think the way that Stephen actually lands his sermon speaks exactly to this question of either your religion is based in a revelation of Jesus and therefore graceful, or it's a human structure, which is therefore about piety. Well, let me just give it away for a second, but... Stephen ends his sermon with, so we built a temple for God. So all of our effort to build a temple, only to discover that God does not live in temples made of human hands, right? So we want to try hard to build something for God. And God says, I don't live in stuff. I don't live in the results of your effort, right? God's going to do something completely different, which I think is grace in Jesus. Does that make sense? Yes, yes. <laughs> and I honestly, I want to leave it right there and say, I'm excited <laughs> to hear your teaching on Sunday as you continue to unpack that. So let's do it then. <laughs>